I love to study dermatology in the Bible. Perhaps the greatest dermatology story from antiquity is the story of Naaman. It's a story abounding in contrast, muddy rivers that clean, clean rivers that don't. One man with leprosy who comes to a prophet and leaves cured of leprosy. Another man without leprosy comes to the same prophet and leaves cursed with leprosy. It shows one man seeking to give away a fortune ends up keeping it, and another man seeking a fortune ends up only with misfortune. It's the story of a Hebrew slave who has answers and a Hebrew king who does not. It's a story that speaks to a serious dermatologic disease in Naaman that uncovers a more serious cardiac problem in Gehazi. It's a story that speaks to all medical missionaries. In some respects, Naaman is every patient we see. And Gehazi is the physician and the dentist we must not be. Shall we bow our heads? Father in heaven, we're going to be looking at your word, a passage that you would like to apply to our lives tonight to make us different. We need to hear your voice speaking to us from the sacred words of Scripture. I pray that this message may somehow soften us and prepare us for the seed of truth watered by the Holy Spirit and transforming us into the medical missionaries that you've called us to be. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master. And honorable, because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. Like Cyrus after him, God could say of this heathen gentleman, I will strengthen you, though you have not acknowledged me. Any success saint or sinner has comes from God. In every area of life, the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. Josephus tells us how Naaman gave deliverance to Syria and became a great man. He states that Naaman was the certain man who drew a bow at a venture and smote the king of Israel between the joints of the harness, resulting in the death of King Ahab. Ellen White may hint at this in the book Prophets and Kings. His deadly aim was not simply a lucky shot on a lucky day. The verse continues, he was also a mighty man in valor. He had the world by the tail. Everything was going well. He was successful. He was popular. He was wealthy. But if the story quit there, there'd be no story. Naaman would have simply been one of the countless unknowns. He would have lived. He would have died. His grave would be lost. He'd be forgotten. There would not be a trace left of him today. All his past successes would mean nothing today. Worldly fame and prosperity, you see, is not lasting. As counterintuitive as it might seem, it was Naaman's medical problems that brought him a lasting legacy with one of the great classic stories of the ancient world. I'm not able to tell you whether Elisha violated HIPAA in recording this story. <laughs> but after telling of Naaman's valor, Elisha adds, he was a leper. And leprosy was both incurable and deadly. Naaman could conquer the enemies of Syria without, but he could not conquer the enemy within. Here is in so many areas, fame and fortune mean nothing. 
So often we look at life backward. Naaman thought that his leprosy was a great tragedy. His wife thought that his leprosy was a great tragedy. The king thought that the leprosy was a great tragedy. But that, less, that leprosy was to bring Naaman the greatest blessing of his life. Ministry of Healing tells us, in the future life, the mysteries that here have annoyed and disappointed us will be made plain. We shall see that our seemingly unanswered prayers and disappointed hopes have been among our, what's the next two words? Greatest blessings. Education 270, Christ will work through those who can see mercy in what? Misery. And gain in loss. When the light of the world passes by, privilege will be discerned in Hardship, order in confusion, success in apparent failure, calamities will be seen as disguised blessings, woes as mercies. David put it this way, before I was afflicted I went astray, but now have I kept thy word. The Syrians and the Israelites were in a state of war. Naaman's leprosy, however, did not have him slacken the pace of this war against the Israelites, and the Syrians had gone out by companies. They stole, they pillaged, they raped, they robbed, they murdered. And the Israelites were crying out to God to send a deliverer, someone like, like a, a Joshua, a David, a Gideon, a Jephthah, a great hero soldier to deliver his people. But God had another plan, a plan to bypass the Syrians' prejudice. He provided a hero slave. Like Naaman's leprosy, her capture appeared to be a great tragedy. We don't know her age. The Hebrew expression in the passage could mean the youngest daughter. She would have been unmarried, but could have been of marriageable age. Perhaps she was a teenager. The Hebrew word translated here could be emphasizing her size, petite. Or it could be emphasizing her age, her youthfulness. The word means insignificant. She was an insignificant nobody. She is still a nobody, a nameless slave. But the God who delights in using worms to thrash mountains, delights in taking the unimportant, the marginalized, the ignored, and the poor to accomplish great things for him. This girl was kidnapped and like Joseph sold as a slave to the enemies of Israel, except this was much more frightening and far more dangerous for a girl than for a fellow. She had no rights. She was despised property. She could hope for no justice. But like jo Joseph, whose story she had heard from her mother's knee, she determined to be faithful to the God of heaven. As a teenager, she would have been born about the time of the revival of primitive godliness among the remnant in Israel, following the showdown at Mount Carmel by Elijah. Her parents would have been in the crowd or could have been in the crowd that saw the fire fall from heaven and flash on the altar consuming it and its contents. The message God sent through the prophet Elijah was not in vain. He, it produced a young person that God could trust on an important but dangerous mission to Syria. Naaman and his wife observed this girl who lived her religion, she worked hard. She was uncomplaining. But when they worshiped their idols, she prayed to the God of heaven. While she lived her religion, she also talked about her religion. And she said unto her mistress, 
Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. Bible religion is practical religion. As James assures us, Bible faith is not simply advising someone to be clothed and fed. It seeks to clothe and feed. It seeks the good of our enemies and even prays for them. And Bible religion is not ashamed of the spirit of prophecy. The captive maid wasn't ashamed of the spirit of the prophecy. She didn't hide her belief in the spirit of prophecy. Though she could cite no peer-reviewed literature for her statement, with full confidence she presented the spirit of prophecy as the solution to Naaman's health problem. And Naaman didn't dismiss this information. He had never heard it before and may have thought he had uncovered a carefully guarded secret of Israel. Those words of the Hebrew slave were carried all the way to Ben-Hadad II, the king of Syria. And after the king listened to Naaman, he told him, Go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. Naaman departed in the official chariot, surrounded by soldiers, horses, and and at least two mules, with attendants guarding both him and the payment for his healing he brought with him. It was a several-day journey from Damascus to Samaria and would require food and lodging. In addition, he took with him ten talents of silver and 6,000 pieces of gold and ten changes of raiment. 750 pounds of silver would be worth more today than it was when I looked it up, but it's greater than $153,000. And 750 pounds of gold is greater than $1.8 million dollars. Naaman was willing to give a fortune for his health, nearly $2 million. With the letter and with the cash, Naaman set off to Israel, an official ambassador on official business. There was little communication between the warring kings of Syria and Israel. It would be humbling for the king of Syria to ask a favor of the king of Israel, and it would obligate the Syrians to Israel. So Ben-Hadad disguised his request in the form of a command. Short and to the point, he wrote, Now when this letter is come unto thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman my servant to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. It was equally difficult for the king to receive Naaman. Strict rules isolating lepers were rigorously enforced in Israel. There was not only loathing, there was fear. The king was being asked to receive this high Syrian official who should not even be within the city walls, let alone in the king's court. The king of Israel saw in Naaman both an insult and a trap. This letter was not asking the king of Israel for uh, himself to heal Naaman. It was requesting that the king of Israel open up the resources within his kingdom for healing lepers. Ben-Hadad assumed the king of Israel would know how to do this. He assumed that the king would know what a captive slave would know. But the shameful truth was that King Jehoram, the youngest son of Ahab and Jezebel, knew less about the benefits of the spirit of prophecy than a captive slave. And because he didn't understand medical missionary evangelism, he couldn't recognize a witnessing opportunity. He should have taken Naaman's eyes off the king of Israel and focused them on the God of Israel, but he failed to do this. When the king of Israel had read the letter, he rent his clothes, 
Calling together his counselors, he began to talk about his favorite subject, his favorite theme, himself. Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man does send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? Wherefore, consider, I pray you, and see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. I, me, I, me, poor me. He took the letter seriously, not as an opportunity to help. He couldn't even imagine a real request for help. He took it as a pretext for the next Israel-Syrian war, and he was very upset. It was a big deal when a king tore his expensive clothes. You only tore your clothes in the greatest of stresses, death or disaster. The news spread far and wide. And it was so, when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? There was no reason to be upset. Introduce Naaman to the spirit of prophecy. Let him come to me now, now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. The king granted permission for Naaman to see Elisha. So entering Elisha's address into his GPS, Naaman left the palace for the humble home of Elisha. So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. What a contrast between the small, humble dwelling of the prophet and the opulent palace where Naaman lived. There were no visible guards at the door of Elisha's house. Naaman expected to be greeted. He expected the red carpet treatment, but there was no red carpet. There was no one waiting expectantly for him. Instead, he clambered out of his chariot and walked to Elisha's door and knocked. Elisha didn't even come to the door. Instead, he sent his PA. (laughs) No history was taken. There was no physical examination. No biopsy was done to confirm the clinical impression. He wasn't even sent for nerve conduction studies. (laughs) I said Naaman saw Elisha's PA. That's not really true. He saw Elisha's medical assistant, who gave him a prescription which read, Go and wash in Jordan seven times. And a wonderful promise was given him. Thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. That was it. It was a 10-second encounter, a short prescription. But deep and important spiritual lessons were taught in this encounter. God did not simply want to cure Naaman's body. He wanted to cleanse his soul. Thou shalt be clean. In the sign language of the Bible, to be clean physically illustrates being holy spiritually. Lepers were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel because they were unclean. They did not have access to its blessings and privileges. Naaman need not remain excluded because he could be clean. But Naaman didn't understand this. He felt insulted. Uh, This is actually a a copy of the, uh, the prescription he got. I did my best to translate it from the Hebrew. His pride was wounded, and he felt that there had been no respect for him and his position in Syria. You don't just send a medical assistant to care for a VIP. Elisha was not providing Naaman the community standard of care. Besides, Dapsone is the drug of choice, not hydrotherapy. Naaman's reaction was completely predictable. Naaman was wroth and went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. 
Even three millennia ago, people had a certain idea in mind for miraculous healings. The healer comes out, he prays, and he puts his hand on the site of the disease. The healing power flows through the, the healer's fingers into the sick. That is what so-called faith healers have always done. Naaman may have already been to the Benny Hinn of his day, but he had not been healed. God uses all sorts of ways to heal people. He might use a poultice of figs. He might use spittle to make an eye paste. He might use herbs or hydrotherapy. He may use sunlight, exercise, and fresh air. He might use diet. He may use surgery. He may use radiation therapy. He may use topical creams. He may use injections. He may use the laying on of hands. But twice the inspired writer mentions Naaman's rage. I should have said, but if healing comes, it comes not from what we give. It comes from God. But first his scowl, then his muttering under his breath, and finally his angry outburst. Are not Abana and Farper, rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. Over the ancient highways, the distance between Samaria and Damascus was about 125 miles. And directly on the route, about a hard day's journey, 43 miles from Samaria, they would cross the Jordan. The servants knew they had some time. They watched as Naaman's anger slowly dissipated. And finally, the opportune moment to talk, they respectfully asked, My father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldest thou not have done it? How much rather than when he saith to thee, Wash and be clean. Naaman may have said nothing. Pride was struggling with humility. But when they finally arrived at the Jordan, then went he down and dipped himself seven times, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. The record doesn't tell us if he saw a little response after each wash, got cleaner and cleaner. But on the seventh wash, he was clean with his skin as healthy and smooth as a child's. His healed skin was now younger than his liver and his heart, which it covered. Gratitude replaced his anger. And he returned to the man of God. He, and notice the next three words, all his company. And came and stood before him in the presence of all his servants, he confessed his belief in the God of Israel, the God of the nation he had been seeking to overthrow. He confessed his disbelief in the gods of Syria, the gods he had been worshiping all his life, and the gods whose cause he had been attempting to promote. With conviction, he said, Behold, now I know there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Then he offered Elisha rich grifts. Now therefore, I pray thee, take a blessing of thy servant. You gave me a blessing, let me give you a blessing. But folk, blessings don't come from others giving us money. The gifts of God are free. Naaman's leprosy represents our sinfulness, and Jesus offers to cleanse us from sin without money and without price. 
And Elisha, without hesitation, instantly replied with the firmness and even the words of Elijah, his former master, as the Lord liveth before whom I stand, I will receive none. Elisha, the servant of Elijah, had not just taken Elijah's words, but his principles to heart. He was a worthy successor to that great prophet. Though Naaman urged, he could not turn Elisha from this refusal. There was another important lesson that should not be overlooked in Elisha's refusal. Elisha had expended no great effort in this cure, and he would accept no payment for small services rendered. Naaman then asked for materials for him to make an altar to the Lord, publicly acknowledging his entire conversion. He said, Thy servant will henceforth offer neither burnt offering nor sacrifice unto other gods, but unto the Lord. The medical missionary Elisha did not cover with Naaman all the fine points of Hebrew theology. He didn't demand that Naaman be circumcised. He didn't explain that only the Levite was to offer sacrifices to the Lord. At the bedside of the sick, no word of creed or controversy should be spoken. Ministry of Healing 120. Elisha understood that medical missionary work is the entering wedge. Paul sows, Apollos waters, but God gives the increase. Naaman was beginning in the first grade. Second grade would come, and third if he stayed in Christ's school. Medical evangelism is not the end. It is the beginning. It must be followed with public evangelism and personal ministry. The path of the justice is the shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. Elisha's servant watched this amazing transaction. But instead of seeing souls won for eternity, he saw only dollars lost for time. Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, not out loud, but to himself, Behold, my master hath spared Naaman, this Syrian. I imagine Gehazi almost spit out the hateful words, this Syrian. The Syrians under Naaman had been robbing and plundering the Israelites. This was a God-given opportunity to a bit even the score. My master hath spared Naaman, this Syrian, in not receiving at his hands that which he brought. Even in his thoughts, Gehazi was confused. Although he referred to Elisha as my master, Elisha wasn't his real master, for he did not perform his master's will. The words my master should have stopped him right there, but they, they didn't. Like those who say Christ to Christ, Lord, Lord, his real master was himself. He lived for himself, he served himself but he was self-deceived. He thought he was serving God and Elisha. There's something interesting about his next words. But as the Lord liveth, I will run after him and take somewhat of him. How unlike Elijah and Elisha. He adopted their words as the Lord liveth, but he had rejected their principles. The mantle that passed from Elijah to Elisha would never pass to him. Gehazi may have rationalized that Elisha had missed a providential opportunity to further their missionary work. But he was to learn the truth of Proverbs, he that is greedy of gain troubleth his own house, but he that hateth gifts shall live. Putting his thoughts into action, Gehazi began to run after Naaman, and when Naaman saw him running after him, he lighted down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? Gehazi replied, 
all is well. Then Gehazi began his tale. Professing to be on an errand from Elisha, he said, My master has sent me, saying, Behold, even now there be come to me from Mount Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. Give them, I pray thee, a talent of silver and two changes of garments. How easy it is to cover our greed with some good purpose. What better purpose than giving to the poor? And the poor need our help, and they need to be helped. It is our duty. We do need to assist with worthy student funds. But I repeat, how easy it is to cover greed with good purpose. Judas did it. The great religious isms do it. Musicians may use it at the end of their concerts, calling for donations to help the orphans or some other good cause. Revolutionaries claim to be helping the poor. Populist politicians claim to be helping the poor. Governments use the same line. The worst laws, the worst taxes, all supposedly to help the poor, except the poor seem to get poor. People cover their greed with some good purpose because it works. It fools people. It worked for Naaman. His response was everything that Gehazi could have hoped for. He offered to give more than Gehazi had requested. And Naaman said, be content, take two talents. Though inwardly delighted, Gehazi affected reluctance to Naaman. But Naaman urged him and bound two talents of silver and two bags with two changes of garments. But then came a problem when Naaman sent two of his servants to carry the gift. But you know the story. Gehazi thought that he solved the problem by sending the servants back and hiding his fraudulently obtained booty. Though the Bible says he that covereth his sin shall not prosper, Gehazi thought he could cover his sins and prosper. But he couldn't. His actions had been videoed. And my oldest daughter became a teenager. I realized I needed family time, so I stopped my hospital practice, dropped hospital committees and responsibilities, and began doing independent medical examinations for judges. This left my weekends and evenings free for the family. I saw patients with work comp injuries and other personal injuries. Insurance companies had private investigators secretly video about 10% of the patients that I saw. Sometimes I was given the surveillance videos to watch. I'll never forget one video that I reviewed just before examining a patient. It showed this person, one week before, working on his house, carrying heavy objects, moving his neck and back freely, without any apparent difficulty or pain. The patient was completely unaware that he was being videoed, and he was still unaware of the video when I saw him. When I examined the patient, he came into my office moving slowly. He wouldn't move his neck. He wouldn't bend his back. And when I asked him about how he did with activities that I had just seen him do, he said he hadn't been able to do that since his injury. Not even once? No, not even once. Of course he was lying. I had the video to prove it. But Gehazi didn't realize he'd been videoed. He didn't know that this was going to be his last day of work. He didn't know that his fraud would ruin his future, his reputation, his family. He did not guess that the pittance of silver and changes of garments he received would cost him everything of value in his life. Still acting the part, he came to see Elisha affecting nonchalance. In commenting on Gehazi, we are told this, it is seldom 
that one sin will stand alone or be restricted in the range of transgressions to one precept or one prohibition of the moral law. There is ever a complication of disobedience which leads the perverted conscience to a greater length of entanglement by entering to greater temptations and sinning more and more. When Elisha asked, Whence comest thou, Gehazi? Gehazi didn't dream this question was his final offer of repentance. No bells tolled, no trumpets blared, no sirens sounded. How little we recognize the importance of seemingly insignificant things in the transactions of life. Gehazi's answer revealed his major concern was not for his soul's salvation, but to escape detection and punishment for his crime. Day by day, year by year, in the little decisions of life, Gehazi compromised his principles. Little by little, the creeping crud of covetousness and avarice took over more and more of Gehazi's soul. For years, Elisha had seen this plague spot in Gehazi's character. Gehazi should have been terminated long before. But Elisha kept praying for him like a father and his son. Elisha longed for Gehazi's conversion. With a sadness and soberness we can't imagine. Elisha listened to Gehazi's reply, Thy servant went no whither. With that lie, the sun set on Gehazi's day of opportunity. God was not interested in Gehazi's lip service. God's mercy so long despised would end with fearful judgment. Sorrowfully, Elisha had to declare the decision from the judge of the universe, a judgment that could not be reversed, a judgment for time and eternity. Went not mine heart with thee when the man turned again from his chariot to meet thee? Is it a time to receive money and to receive garments and olive yards and vineyards and sheep and oxen and men servants and maidservants? The leprosy therefore of Naaman shall cleave unto thee and unto thy seed forever. And he went out from his presence a leper as white as snow. We can hear Elisha's question echoing through the quarters of time to our own day. Is it a time to receive money and receive garments? Is it a time for wealth building? Gehazi's seeking wealth was first foolish, and second, it was fraudulent. It was foolish, for in a moment, Gehazi's apparent gains were swept away. They were seen to be lost. Moses in his prayers said, So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Life on earth is temporary, death a certainty. Since the introduction of sin, there's never been a time to focus on the uncertain and perishable riches. The Bible has left a number of biographical sketches that teach this truth. Esau, Balaam, the rich young ruler, Judas... Ananias and Sapphira, Simon Magus, all joined with Gehazi in foolish investments. Jesus asked us to consider his question, what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his soul? And if gaining the entire world is not lose, worth losing our soul for, what about losing our soul for a mere two talents of silver? Paul reminds us we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out. 
The only way to take something with us into eternity is to send it there before we get there. But if it was not a time to seek for wealth in Gehazi's day, our day is even less. Not only is our life uncertain, our entire monetary system is uncertain. When the unthinkable is talked about, when people whisper that the venerable 373-year-old Harvard may collapse, this is no time to dream and scheme for our own future wealth. Are we facing deflation and depression, or are we facing hyperinflation or capital flight, or do we face, in fact, the danger of both? Is gold a safe investment, or is this bauble too right now in a bubble? Have we passed peak oil, or do we have another 50 years for the petroleum industry? There are a thousand voices and 10,000 opinions. But one thing is certain, this is not a time to focus on wealth building which can be swept away in a moment. If our income is our security, if our portfolio of, of investments and land is our security, we have no security. But Gehazi's investment was not only foolish, it was fraudulent. Though the funds were willingly given by Naaman, it was nonetheless fraud. Gehazi was the servant of the prophet Elisha. He sought to take advantage of his position in the work to make a buck. He pretended great conscientiousness. He pretended sacrifice. While he called for offerings and sacrifice to advance God's cause, he secretly appropriated these offerings for his own use. This pickpocketing of Naaman was not his first. This has been going on for years. He was now becoming more brave and brazen. Gehazi's leprosy was a result of his corruptness of principle, avarice, fraud, and deceit. While professing love and loyalty to God, he manifested real love of the world. He mingled the sacred with the common. Leprosy is an important disease in the Bible because it teaches so many spiritual truths. In the Bible, white represents purity and holiness, while leprosy represents sin and unrighteousness. In the sign language of the Bible, a leper as white as snow represents the hypocrite, the profession of a purity like snow hiding the sin of the darkest hue. I'm aware of no other disease in the Bible that is discussed in depth like leprosy. There are more records of Jesus healing the lepers than any other single disease. We could say, Dr. Nedley, that Jesus' primary specialty was not internal medicine, it was dermatology. <laughs> Moses devotes an entire chapter of Leviticus to the diagnostic signs and symptoms of leprosy. It was not just the doctors that would diagnose leprosy. The priest would diagnose it as well. Every leper had to present himself to the priest. This diagnosis was not to be made lightly. This was not an off-the-cuff, thoughtless diagnosis. This was to be carefully investigated over a period of time. But if, after close observation, the signs and symptoms were found in an individual, the priest, however reluctant, must give him the diagnosis of leprosy and pronounce him utterly unclean. Leviticus 13.44. There were consequences to this diagnosis. Lepers were to be put out of the camp of Israel. To teach us what God regards as spiritual leprosy, God sent leprosy on four individuals, Moses, Miriam, 
Gehazi and King Isaiah. We've already looked at Gehazi. But let's quickly look at the other three, Moses, Miriam, and King Isaiah, to better understand Gehazi. Before Moses could deliver Israel, he must learn an important lesson about leprosy. At his call to lead Israel, God told him, put your hand in your bosom, that is, place your hand over your heart. When Moses did this, his hand became leprous. God would teach him that the uncleanness of his heart would contaminate all the actions of his hand. Gehazi's leprosy wasn't skin deep. It wasn't a momentary lapse, a simple failure. It was a systemic disease. The actions of his legs in running after the things of this word, world, the words of his mouth in requesting the things of this world, the grasping of his hands and unrighteously taking the things of this world originated in the unresisted thoughts that desired the world. Until our thoughts are cleansed, our actions will always be unclean. Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? Not one. Not even God will bring a clean thing out of an unclean. He doesn't filter the water. His solution is to cleanse the fountain. If Moses is to have a hand without leprosy, he must have a heart that's clean. And if he is to have a clean heart, he must cry out, Create in me a clean heart, O God. With a clean heart, Moses could place his hand back over it. The leprosy will be gone. The actions of his hand would be right because the heart is now clean. In medicine, leprosy is a dermatologic problem, a neurologic problem, an infectious disease problem. But in God's word, leprosy is a cardiac problem. Jesus said, That which cometh out of a man, that defileth a man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and defile the man. Paul exclaimed, For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. Parents will often bring their children to me with acne. And sometimes they'll tell me, Tell my son or tell my daughter they need to scrub their face with this lava soap. They're not washing hard enough. But I have to tell the patients, the parents, this is only going to irritate the child's skin and make the acne worse. The problem is not the dirt on the outside. It's deeper than that. It would not matter what soap Pilate used to wash his hands. His hands could not be clean. When I had my surgical rotation, we were taught the 10-minute scrub. Even a 10-minute scrub would be of no avail. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. Teenage female acne patients usually come with their makeup trying to hide the pustules, inflammatory papules, and cysts. They may succeed with a partial hiding of the obvious skin lesions, but the underlying acne is unaffected and often worsened by certain types of makeup. Illegal religion is useless for cleansing from leprosy. 
The problem is not on the surface, and the solution is not cleansing the surface. The best Phariseeism can produce is the makeup of hypocrisy to partially conceal the sin. Teenage male acne patients may come in and ignore their acne, but this doesn't solve the problem any better than the makeup. The lesson from Moses' leprosy is that the heart must be cleansed before the hands are pure. We are carnal, soul unto sin. True cleansing must involve the, the heart, and only Christ can cleanse the heart. Have I seen my sin? My through and through heart uncleanness. It is this that is the cause of my sinful actions. And until my heart is cleansed, fellow dentists and physicians, my actions will never truly be reformed. At best, I will have a few moments of not doing this or that sin. But quickly the sins will resume. My resolution shattered in discouragement, I may quit trying or continue the ineffective struggle. Have I cried out to the Lord, cleanse me? Or do I self-righteously say like Peter, thou shalt never wash my feet? Jesus told Peter, if Peter would not let Jesus wash his feet, Peter could have no part with him. The only way we can be clean is to let Jesus clean us. Since cleaning is the Bible sign for holiness, Christ was illustrating through Peter that we can have no part with him if we refuse to let him wash us, that is, make us holy. Miriam is the second person to be struck with leprosy. She was the rescuing sister of Moses. She was a leader in Israel, but like her brother Moses, she too needed to learn spiritual lessons from leprosy. Miriam's leprosy was the result of her thinking that her private opinions were just as good, perhaps superior, to God's inspired word through a prophet. She thought Moses' words were being influenced by man, and she spoke evil against God's prophet, Moses. There are some who, like Gehazi, claim to be loyal to the prophet. They claim to be speaking for the prophet. They claim to be on a mission from the prophet. They claim their apostasy is supported by the spirit of prophecy. There are others, like Miriam, who think that the spirit of prophecy is devotional, but they hold their own opinions to be superior to that of a prophet's. They seek to bring the counsel of the Lord into harmony with their ideas instead of bringing their high ideas into harmony with the counsel of the Lord. They show their contempt for God's message and messenger by neglecting to carefully study and know its counsel. By their lives and their words, they belittle God's prophet. They damn the spirit of prophecy with the faint praise. Do you want to know what arouses God's indignation? The sin of Miriam the anger of the Lord was kindled. It's a big deal when the Lord's anger is kindled. Paul, uh, David tells us to kiss the son lest he be angry and ye perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. God says, touch not mine anointed and do my prophets no harm. God save us from the sin of belittling the spirit of prophecy. King Isaiah King Isaiah became proud of his accomplishments and felt that the prophet's instruction was for a different era and didn't apply. Times had changed. All the neighboring kings offered sacrifice to their gods. He felt out of date, out of step. He felt embarrassed by the old-fashioned ideas still in the church. He felt the ancient prophets were too restrictive. 
they were for a less enlightened generation. He felt his position, his success, his experience, his education could be trusted more than the prophetic writings. He was progressive. Disdaining counsel from the brethren, he violated God's command and suffered his judgments. A disease may have a variety of presentations. The underlying pathogen may manifest itself in a variety of different ways. Gehazi professes loyalty to the spirit of prophecy. Miriam belittles it. King Isaiah openly defies it, is contemptuous of it, but it is all the same disease. It is spiritual leprosy. The anesthesia of the disease makes the victim unable to feel the dangers. In every case, though the problem is seen in the hand, it proceeds from the heart. Gehazi had lust of the eyes with covetousness. Miriam had lust of the flesh with jealousy. King Isaiah had the pride of life. Pride is taking undeserved credit for our success. Nebuchadnezzar had this pride. Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? With David we must learn all things come of thee and of thine own have we given thee. Gehazi, Miriam, and Isaiah share a common problem. Acts of the Apostles tells us the reason many in this age of the world make no greater advancement in the divine life is because they interpret the will of God to be just what they will to do. While following their own desires, they flatter themselves that they are conforming to God's will. What a contrast between Elisha and Gehazi. Elisha prepared for his great work by faithfulness in little things while Gehazi prepared for his great failure by covetousness in little things. Day by day, Elisha became more and more like his master, while day by day, Gehazi was growing less like his master. Elisha saw his business as serving. Gehazi saw his serving as business. Elisha sees and heals. Gehazi sees and steals. Elisha refused to take money for little service. Gehazi took enough money for two people. Elisha will not take money for what God did. Gehazi takes God's blessings on others and uses them to enrich himself. Elisha was a medical missionary. Gehazi was a medical mercenary. I hear God's call for medical missionaries this evening. In the story of Naaman, there was a medical missionary team beginning with a sympathetic young person who pointed the sick to the spirit of prophecy. Gehazi, who at first followed the advice of the spirit of prophecy and offered the sick hydrotherapy. But Gehazi was not content with the saving of souls and sought to make merchandise of God's grace. It's a warning to me. Medical Ministry 121. Every physician is to be true and honest. He is not in any case to defraud his patients. If he performs a simple operation, he is to charge a simple price. The charges made by other practicing physicians are not to be his criteria. The diseased bodies over which he works are God's property. The physician who loves his brother as he loves himself will not charge exorbitant prices. This physicians and dentists is our test of genuine love. It's easy to talk about love. It's easy to condemn others' lack of love. But do I have love? 
Perhaps for some of us a change must take place. It is essential that there be reforms in medical lines. There is grave overreaches reaching in the charges made by lawyers, we know that, and doctors. <laughs> the Lord views all these things. Like Gehazi, we are being videoed. When the patient enters our exam room, we are being videoed. While we examine the patient, Christ examines us, the physician, the dentist. He notes our motives, our time, our accuracy. And when we mark the billing sheet, God sees. With satisfaction, he saw the captive made. We hear his approving voice say to that slave lass, well done. He saw King Jehoram and his failure to help the sick, his impatience with the patient, his failure to direct him to the spirit of prophecy, the solution. There was no condemnation for King Jehoram for a job well done. Day by day, patient by patient, I am building my character, investing for time and for eternity. God has in his archives every patient transaction of my medical career. Lord, keep me a Christian even though I am a doctor. Give me your love so I will not do anything merely to legally get a higher level of service on my charges. Lord, may I never take advantage of my position to defraud another. I want to answer your call to reform every practice that is not in harmony with your word. The example of Gehazi serves as a solemn warning. The Lord will not serve with the sins of his people. Many times he has suffered calamity and defeat to come upon them because they have glorified themselves, weaving false principles into their practice. But I'm grateful for the next phrase. He willingly forgives those who repent, but he will remove his favor from those who go on sinning, exalt self, mingling the sacred with the common. Terrible judgments will destroy those who have misrepresented him, saying, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these, when their example is misleading. Calling at the temple of the Lord doesn't make wrong right. Carrying the name Christian doesn't make wrong right. Doing wrong in the temple doesn't sanctify wrong and make it right. Leadership doing wrong doesn't make it wrong, doesn't make wrong right. Right is right. And when we use the name of Christianity to foster evil, when we justify our evil practices in the name of Jesus, we have the leprosy of Gehazi. Gehazi saw in Naaman's sickness, misfortune, and need an opportunity to advantage himself. Those who are like him are his children. In the Bible, lineage is not based on ancestry, but on likeness. The paternity test, God's DNA testing of who our father is, is our actions. If I act like the milkman, the milkman is my daddy. They answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said unto them, if ye were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. God has declared that Naaman's children shall be cursed with spiritual leprosy through all time. As I have examined myself in the past few weeks and meditating on this story, I have discovered the alarming signs of leprosy. Though it is painless, 
It has infected my entire body. But I am grateful, like Naaman, I have discovered a cure. Though I cannot cleanse myself, I am not content to remain unclean. There is no reason that I should be unclean for a moment. It happened when he was in a certain city that, behold, a man who was, what's the next word? Full of leprosy saw Jesus. And he fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And he put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately the leprosy left him. I remain unclean only if I refuse the cleansing Christ offers. Naaman brought with him $2 million to pay for his cleansing from Elisha. He almost went home uncleansed, not because he could not be cleansed, but because he would not be cleansed. He was willing to do something great, something difficult. He was willing to make a show of sacrifice, but wash and be clean, it seemed too easy. He almost refused the offered cleansing. Pride almost kept him from cure. He almost chose death over life. How many are doing that today? If they could buy their cleansing, they would do it. If they could choose the work they think are acceptable, they would do them. But they will not wash again and again to be clean. Before we are part of the church, we must be baptized. God is teaching us about his cleansing us. Before we are permitted in his way, he cleanses us. Yet some remain unclean. He sadly said to his disciples, you are clean, but not all. How Jesus wanted to cleanse them all, even Judas. But Judas refused. We are cleansed by the blood of the Lamb and the water of the Word. How are we to be clean? Now are ye clean through the Word which I have spoken unto you. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his ways? By taking heed thereto according to thy Word. Moses was cleansed. Miriam was cleansed. Gehazi was cleansed. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. Gehazi was not cleansed. King Isaiah was not cleansed. This evening, what category will you be in? Won't you seek the Lord now, and when you find him, say, Lord, if thou wilt, thou can make me clean. We you bow your heads? Father in heaven, If the anesthesia of leprosy hasn't, hasn't anesthetized us too much, we'll see in the light of your word that we're full of leprosy. And we can go to the greatest dermatologist, infectious disease, or neurologist, and they can't cleanse us. But we're thankful that your clinic is open tonight. And we don't even have to fill out the insurance papers. You'll accept us as we are and put, your, put us in your leprosy rehab program. And I pray that the meetings that we attend this weekend may be part and parcel 
of reforming our lives. Lord, I want to hear what you'd have to tell me, even if it hurts. I pray that our meetings may not close without our hearts being cleansed by the blood of Jesus, by the water of the Word, and by the application of the Spirit. We thank you for hearing and answering this prayer in Christ's name. Amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for Amen, Adventist Medical Evangelism Network. If you would like to learn more about Amen, please visit www.amensda.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.